As you know by now, there is some mean and wicked weather out there, and WMNF will be providing you with the latest information on the storm heading our way from meteorologists at the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network, both on the air and at WMNF.org slash weather. The team at WMNF will be here for you, and we'll ride through this together. Hi, I'm Kenny Coogan. Join Annie Ellis and myself as we co-host the Sustainable Living Show here on your community-supported radio station, WMNF Tampa. On Sustainable Living, we bring you conversations with local experts on sustainable topics. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I said it's all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting Sustainable Living show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts in sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Craig Hugel. We are talking about Florida's native plants and wildlife and the USF Botanical Gardens. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Hello, Kenny. Hi, Annie. And, of course, we have Bill Grace working the boards, and we have Greg answering the calls. So we hope to keep him busy today. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned as we talk about the importance of natives in our landscape and how we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. The definition of sustainability. <laughs> Uh, Annie, do you want to introduce Craig? I would be thrilled to do so. Okay. Um, I just think so highly of Craig. Um, Craig was born and he was raised in Madison, Wisconsin. He's a resident of Tampa Bay since 1987. He's been involved with WMNF as a DJ for several decades so far. And since 2009, he's had a regular show on WMNF in some form or another. And Craig is renowned for his knowledge of plant animal interactions and the design of wildlife attracting landscapes at the university of florida his, he co-founded the urban wildlife extension program and established the florida backyard wildlife habitat program he also established the pinellas county environmental land division and served as division administrator for 12 years uh, Craig has authored so many books and book chapters, publications, videos on wildlife, native plants, etc. I counted oh, almost 50. So <laughs> I can't talk about all those. <laughs> That's too many. Uh, he has received um, numerous state and regional awards from public ag- agencies, private conservation groups for his ongoing environmental education, restoration, and preservation efforts. There's so many. It's just too many to list. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's like seven pages of, of information. Uh, he lectures wild, uh, widely. I started to say wildly. <laughs> Probably the same. Uh, across the state of Florida on the use of native plants uh, in ecologically beneficial, sustainable landscapes. Craig, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Uh, welcome. I'm glad to be there. You can hear me okay, right? Yes, yes. Are you on the phone? Oh, good. I you- never... I never trust Zoom. Yeah, it's on my phone. Oh, okay. I don't have any sound on my computer out here, so. Oh, okay. You're at your homestead. I'm phoning this one in. (laughs) As they say. I am here at work. (laughs) We are busy trying to get everything in order before the storm 
comes in or the next if, day or so. Or so. if the storm comes No, I'm comes at the in. garden. <laughs> oh, there'll be something. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be as much as it could be. Yeah, fingers crossed. So we wanted to start well, anyhow, off. I'm glad to be part of your program. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We wanted to start off with saying congratulations on yes. being named the director of the USF Botanical Gardens. So we're excited. Well, thank you. We're excited that you're there. And as the new director, what are you most excited about aside from hurricane prep? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what am I excited about? Well, you know, if, if folks out there have not been to the Botanical Garden in the past, or you've only come during one of our festivals, walked around, shopped the vendors and went home, but really haven't taken time to poke around and look, I would welcome you all to come out. Of course, our fall festival's coming up on the 8th and 9th of October, so we're busy getting ready for that. Um, what am I most excited about is the fact that the garden, you know, after years of being here in one form or another, is has so much potential that's untapped. And I like to believe that uh, even though I'm not a young man, I have a lot of energy uh, to bring to this program. And I do fully intend to uh, create more educational opportunities and to add a lot more native plant educational opportunities. Yay. Because if anything, we're a little bit short on that end of things. I completely agree with you in that there's so much potential at the USF Botanical Gardens, mm-hmm. and I really am excited that you're the new director. So can you tell us, do you have some three-month or six-month goals that you want to accomplish? <laughs> oh, that I do. Like, should yeah. I say those in public? Absolutely. I think you um, should, and then you'll be held accountable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know it. That's a scary thing you're doing to me. Um, <laughs> because I want the no, USF Botanical Gardens to like really thrive. Yes. And to be honest with you, we, you, we were just talking to another uh, host here at WMNF, and they've been in Tampa their entire life, and they didn't even know that there was a botanical and, garden. And there. that surprised me, but it's only, and Kenny said, well, you're a plants person, and you're hooked up to that. And I'm like, yeah, that's why mm-hmm. I know. And so people that aren't, that is, that's it. That's part of it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um I mean, if you're not a plant person, why would you come out here? And I guess it's because it's a nice, quiet, reflective place to mm-hmm. take a walk. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, and it's right here in Tampa. So, you know, we're one of the largest universities anywhere right here with uh, USF, and uh, students get stressed. Um, students need an outlet. Uh, I'd like to see us expand our outreach to all those students that are here especially those living in dorms that are on campus all the time to come out to do more educational programs. We've just recently put in a nature trail and we're going to be adding a couple of benches and a picnic table. And I hope people uh, will be able to come on and just take a short walk through the woods because we have a really beautiful woods that most people probably don't realize. But in the, you know, I've started clearing an area for a native plant wildflower meadow. Um, I hope to have that installed before uh, three months is out with native grasses and wildflowers to show people what can be done. There's so much interest uh, in Florida, but pretty much worldwide right now in the idea of creating pollinator gardens. Um, Those are best done with native plants, and we don't really have a showcase here. We have a hummingbird and a butterfly garden, and frankly, we have a lot of 
butterflies and we have a lot of bees and we have a lot of hummingbirds. I mean, it's just ruby-throated, of course, but we see them almost every day. We're really looking for them at the right time of year. But we don't have uh, a true prairie, so to speak, of native wildflowers and grasses to show people what you can do in your yard that really would be effective at creating this diverse landscape that I like to call living landscapes that I've been working on since 1987 here and elsewhere before that. Um, I'd like to put in, well, I've, I've got uh, some bog garden, wetland garden features that I'll be adding to that in the downslope side of things so we can show people some plants they can use in wetland settings. Pitcher plant bog, we'll be putting that in uh, in the next few months. And then on the upland side, I intend to put in uh, what I call a scrub. You know, everywhere that I've lived in Florida, I've created a pile of sand and put in uh, plants from Florida's most endangered plant community, which is the scrub. And uh, I really would like to show people some of the uh, outstanding, amazing native plants to this very rare and endangered ecosystem. So that's, you know, part of what I hope to do within the next three months. And um, we'll take it from there. <laughs> That's a lot in three months. <laughs> so in a, in a minute, Annie's It been... is a lot in three months. <laughs> good luck. I'm not a patient person. Well, good for you. <laughs> so in a minute, Annie's going to be asking you more about your background and wildlife and wildflower yeah, interactions. Good. But I want to ask you one more question and regarding the USF and your new role. And remember, Craig, yes. you already have the job. <laughs> you don't oh, have to but they can us. fire me in the hard piece, oh, so be no. careful with you. Okay, so my question is, what are some hurdles that you find yourself facing? And then maybe more importantly, how can listeners help support the gardens? Well, you know, as I've told my faculty in the past, there's, there is a great benefit in being unnoticed. <laughs> and there's a great benefit to being noticed. So in the past, I think the garden has largely been unnoticed by uh, the university system. You know, it's been operating a little under the radar and that's allowed them to do all kinds of things, but it's held back the kind of financial resources that we need to really do what we need to do. And um, now we're noticed and the university has great plans for us. I should say expectations for us. I think I have the plans that have the expectations. Um, and that's wonderful. But of course, everybody is watching us now. And mm -hmm. so what we do, um, we'll get noticed and that's good. Um, we just can't hide uh, beneath the, uh, underneath a rock or something right now. Like maybe in the past. I think our biggest hurdle is just to increase our budget, to increase our, the fact that folks are aware of us, uh, increase our volunteer base, to increase our ability to actually accomplish the objectives that the university would love to see us do, that I would love to see us do. And, you know, we're starting, you know, you start a race, uh, sometimes, you know, in a relay, you got a step or two before they hand off the baton. We're really starting from a standstill on a lot of respects, and we need to build our momentum quickly. And I don't think that that's going to be difficult, but it is uh, one of the challenges 
Because like you say, a lot of people don't know we're here. Mm -hmm. I would guess, you know, I lived in Pinellas County. I'm living in Pasco right now. I would guess most people on the other side of the Bay have no idea unless they come to our plant festivals Mm -hmm. that we exist. And even in the city of Tampa, my guess is the vast majority of people have never taken a walk here. Well, hopefully that will change. Got to change that. Have to change that. Yes. I just want to remind listeners that uh, we're talking to Greg Hugo. We're talking about native plants and wildlife and the USF Botanical Gardens. And on the line, we have Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi. Uh, Yeah, I wanted to congratulate Craig and uh, talk to Craig a little about uh, my history. I have a connection to the Botanical Garden that was very important in my life. Uh, I basically found my calling there. Uh, Go back to early in the school year of 1973. Uh, I wow. was a so- sophomore at USF. Okay, I joined an environmental group that had a project, I guess probably their only project, of uh, starting a community garden on the grounds of the Botanical Garden. Yes. So some of us went out there and uh, scoped it out. Everyone but me fell by the wayside. I think they were afraid of the amount of work because it was basically wild Florida. It was it was uh back behind the greenhouses, maybe fifty yards or so. It was it was uh they were asking us to create a garden out of out of nothing. It was just wild Florida land. And yep. so I was I and was it's still there. <laughs> oh okay. Good to know. Good to know. I was I was uh on my own uh, and I absolutely fell in love with growing my own food, and it was very primitive. Uh, I had to haul water out there by hand and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just go visit it uh, every other day or so. But I I realized that that experience meant more to me than any class or book or person I met in college because I went on. After that school year, I went on to the University of Florida, majored in agriculture, and uh, became basically a 70s back to the lander. Good uh, job. Yeah. Thank and, you, Peter, uh, for calling in. Uh, we have a lot of questions for Craig, so we're going to move on to our next caller, who is Doug. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. Doug? Doug, are you there? Perhaps you're on mute. We hear some wind. All right. so We can hear you breathing. (laughs) (laughs) So, Annie, do you want to follow up with uh, Craig now? Sure. Um, I just want to say that the last man that was on, I'm so thrilled that, yeah, Peter, that he went back to the the earth and he's like doing good for the world. Um, So, Craig, you know, my interest is in the wildlife and the wildflowers and that sort of stuff. And I was talking to someone um, about a book the other day. It's a... uh, she she's growing plants for monarchs, which is you know it's, to me it's a little overdone. I, I like all butterflies and all insects, not just one. I've been been saying that for thirty five years. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> killing me, right? So what what do you think about the wildlife wildflower islands, though? You know that individuals are doing to connect the suburban and the urban. Um, respites for the native wildlife. What do you think about that, and how can they manage that better? Well, that's the question. It is something I have been 
integral to all the work I've been doing since I left the University of Kentucky, even and maybe even as a kid. Um, you know, these stepping stones uh, that people can create in their own landscape um, to connect things, these connectivity bridges are super important. They may be more important for some things than others, but they are incredibly important. I always want to stress to the people out there that anything you do in your yard, no matter what size yard you have, has a lot of potential impact done correctly which is why maybe at times on groups and Facebook, it seems like I lose a little patience when I chide people to maximize their input and think about what they're doing. But it is, uh, it is important. And um, it's, if I write another book for you, University of Press of Florida, it will probably be based on my experiences doing that because mm -hmm. when I moved into my Pasco County home, which I rent and people think I'm crazy because I'm landscaping a rental home, but I get a lot of fun from it. It's, I get way more out of it than what little bit I've spent. Um, you know, I'm living in a typical, on a typical lot in a typical subdivision in a typical suburban desert of Florida where half my neighbors have nothing but gravel in their yard and some folks don't even have an idea what a plant is. <laughs> but you know, what I'm doing in my yard is interesting to me to see as I monitor over the next few years and the few years I've since I've moved in, what changes occur, what starts living there, what starts using it during migration. And, and I have found always in the past places I lived and in this one, which is maybe the most extreme makeover I've ever had to do is, is that it doesn't take that much to make, to change the dynamics of what shares your landscape with you in terms of other living creatures. Yes. You know, I, I to not do to do the natives is the is the key to me instead of you know like the tropical milkweed and that sort of stuff, uh, but just the natives and then uh, you can not using any pesticides uh, was a is a huge factor. I know my next door neighbor uses them, but uh, I, yeah. I have conversations with the guy. Um, so we have a call. I guess we'll take that and then I'll come back with you on a couple more questions. Okay. So hopefully this is Doug now. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Yes, we yes, can. Yay. Uh, Thanks for calling I was, back. I, was, I wasn't breathing. I was practicing the hyperventilating for the storm. Thank <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you much for taking my call. I, I hate to uh, say this, but I'm 65 years young. I've never set one foot on USF. Oh. Where is this uh, garden at? And uh, I would like to volunteer some time if yay, I could. Yay, Doug. Mean, this is, uh, I'm calling well, here. We have Where? dozens of volunteers. And we can always use lots more. Where is it? Well, we're right off of Bruce B. Downs and just south, uh, or I should say just north of Fowler. Um, you would see the turn-in sign. I forget. I'm sorry to say it. I think it might be Pine Street, but it should be easy to find if you just Google map something like uh, USF Botanical Gardens. It took me here the first time when I hadn't been here. A couple of decades and couldn't quite remember. We're on the edge of campus, so to speak, but um, and we've got uh, quite a few acres, and we're right on a really nice uh, lake, and uh, it's uh, really a beautiful place to be. 
Was it your objective to be the hidden secret of Tampa Bay for all these years? <laughs> He's the new director. Well, so. I've only been here for I've been here for four weeks, so <laughs> well, I don't have any long term. <laughs> but he has lots of experience for a very long time. Okay, well, I would love so, to do that. Okay, yeah. so that was well, great. So, Craig. Uh, you told us where you're located, and then yes, the you go to a website to learn about how to volunteer. Grand, fantastic. Yeah, you know Thanks. we the USF Botanical Gardens has a Facebook page, and uh, I think we have an Instagram page that I, I haven't been to. Um, to be honest, I'm not on Instagram anymore, um, but I believe we have that. There is a you do uh, because website. you just started following me a couple days ago. Ah, okay. And you didn't know it. <laughs> All right. Your people are doing things for you that you don't yes, know. But to, be, to become because a volunteer, the best way is to contact through Facebook or a website. Yeah, you know, go to the website probably and um, and uh, drop a line. I mean, we... Yeah. You know what? It's what, I'm, what I'm going to do because uh, I'm going to do the write up for our Facebook blog. I'm going to uh, look up and put a link on there. Thank so you. You're welcome. So people can just touch the link and they'll go straight to that, and then they can observe what they need. So, so. that so that's yeah. the Sustainable Living WMNF Facebook page, but it's also on WMNF.org. Oh, thanks, Kenny. See, Kenny knows all that. See, I'm with you, Craig. I know nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I'm really good in the woods. I'm not <laughs> really good with technology. Yeah, I hear Anyhow. <laughs> so uh, do we have any more calls or emails or anything? We're Kenny? good for now, but okay. we can definitely remind listeners that they're listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF, Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Craig Hugel. We are talking about native plants and wildlife and the USF Botanical Gardens. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. Okie dokie. So back to me. Uh, Craig, I wanted to um, ask you a few things about getting a garden made to support wildlife, you know, in in your yeah. own yard. And you had mentioned uh, that you were doing the... Um, the uh, meadow or the prairie, how you, I think has how you termed it. And so I, this is a combination of questions and I'm going to give them all to you so you can just tell me. All right. Okay, so it's to support the native wildlife, getting your own personal garden made, a native gardening for the birds and a selection guide of native trees and shrubs. So I think that that kind of all goes in one thing. What you got? So, you know, there is, I mean, I've written books about selecting plants for wildlife value mm -hmm. and uh, selecting plant native plants for your growing conditions and what they do. I think a lot of people, the first thing I do is, is I think people before they get started need to do a little research. I think we've gotten pretty lazy as a species in the last few years. And I see so many people on, on Facebook pages, well-meaning people on well-meaning Facebook pages and they, I hear and they show you a picture. Here's this vacant spot in my yard. What should I plant? It's like, oh, right. help me, dear God. You know, it drives <laughs> me crazy because 
I don't know. I want to make that decision for myself. I don't want somebody who knows nothing about my yard or what my environmental goals are or anything else to be telling me what the plant. And I have no idea if those people are really know what they're talking about or, or they're just getting started and they're going to list two or three of their favorite plants that they've read about or had in their yard for a while. I mean, we, we need to take a little bit of time, read. So, there's so much stuff, information on the web. There is so many good books besides ones I've written to try to find out what your options are. And then I think we need to start looking at what am I targeting? You know, mm-hmm. um, you brought up the monarch thing. The thing that drives me nuts about monarchs is this single species kind of outlook exactly. that some people have. I want to help this. Right. You know, well, let's just look at increasing biodiversity, you know? Yeah. What can I do to increase the amount of life in my yard? And that takes a little bit of time. What will grow in my yard? What are the things I most want to see? Do I want to attract a lot of migrating songbirds to my yard like I had in my previous uh, location? It takes a few years, of course. Am I more interested in butterflies or bees or what is it? What do they need? And then how can I add diversity? I see so many posts where somebody has the pollinator magnet in quotes. That drives me nuts too. It's like, ah, you know, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. back it up. I want to back it up. P- pollinator magnet? What? Yeah. What is like that? if I plant this, every pollinator oh, is going to be drawn to it. Yeah, and I was going to go course, out and get the magnet. <laughs> no, the no, magnet on your refrigerator. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, get the WMNF magnet and pledge <laughs> for it on, your, on the next membership drive. Um, no, you know this, like there's one plant <laughs> yeah. that is going to do everything. Right. Or the so-called freedom lawn. I'm just going to let my yard grow up to whatever it is, and I'm going to weed out things if they're not native. But if it's native, I'm going to leave it alone, even if it's next to useless. Yeah. Um, so, Craig- you know, we need, if we're really going to be effective, we need to take the time because we're in this critical, you know, we've never been in a more critical uh, period of time adversity. For Let's take a little bit of time to figure you know, out what's going to maximize the impact I'm going to do. One of the things so, I was thinking question about... question I interrupted you, Kenny. Well, I interrupted him too. So, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted uh, to ask you before we, move, okay. before we move away from that, yes. I wanted to ask you or say that, you know, people a lot of times when they say want to plant something here, they don't think about the soil. They don't think about the water conditions. Yes. And they don't think about the light. Uh, so, you're oh, absolutely. Observing, so much. It's so observing and checking those things before you even think about what you're going to plant is a very important Take thing. Time. Yeah, yeah. So go. You know, on. people people get baptized, so to speak. They see the light, and all of a sudden, they're apostles for native plants. Yeah. But they don't know enough to do it. Right. You know, there's there's not a criticism. It's just take some time. Well, you know, I used to think I knew a lot about native plants and landscaping. After about two years of living in Florida, I was the education chair for the state native plant society Mm -hmm. oh my god i knew so little you know the (laughs) first couple of books i wrote i knew so little um 
in reality, because over time you learn by doing. That's right. You learn by making mistakes. Yeah. You learn by getting out in the absolute freaking woods and seeing where things really grow. You know, what kind of conditions does this occur in? Yeah. Can I match that condition? Is it adaptable and it doesn't really need it or does it? You know, all those things that are so yeah. important. Like when And what you say, you know. When it says a bog plant, that means you got a lot of water. So don't you put it if you have a dry. A exactly. If you don't have a oh. bog or create a bog, you are not going to be able to grow that in your regular bed. No, I'm going to plant it where the air conditioner uh, spits a little water out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's not a wetland. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a little wetter, but... <laughs> You know, a real wetland plant that grows on a lake as you're in a true bog is never going to survive those kind of conditions. And what happens when your air conditioner isn't going on in the for three months during the winter? Hopefully, you got your windows open and your air conditioner isn't on. What happens to it then? You know, yeah. you need to match plants with conditions. To do mm -hmm. that, we got to understand what those plants need. It's not that hard, you know. 20, 30 years ago, because I'm an older human being, we didn't have internets and abilities to access so much information. Mm -hmm. And so we need to do that. Right plant, um, right place, right time. Well, that's our show for next week. I know. <laughs> and then we've got to target that plant for what is it going to do in my landscape? Yes. You know, that's the last real key, Annie, I think is, what is the plant going to do? For so many years, people have planted things because it's aesthetic. Yeah. Or because it may increase my property value. Okay. Oh, help me. So, but <laughs> what is it going to do? What role is it going to play? Yeah. You know, in my current yard, which had nothing on it, literally, which was the best thing for me. I didn't have to dig anything out except a useless dying crepe myrtle. And, but my neighbor behind me has three or four large live oaks. I don't have to plant a live oak. It's right there. Mm -hmm. You know, so what don't I have? You know, what kind of tree, if I want a large tree, what kind of tree don't I have? Is it going to provide uh, nectar for bees and butterflies? Is it going to serve as a host plant for some caterpillars that are also going to feed songbirds and their nestlings? What is it going to do? Is it going to be a wide crown or a narrow crown? Is it going to lose mm -hmm. its leaves in the winter or is it going to keep them year round and, and then shade things all right. year round? Maybe I don't want that. All those kind of attributes we have to consider. And then we go out and buy plants. We don't do this uh, impulse plant buying that I see so many people doing, whether it's native or not, where you go to the Walmart plant show store yes. or you go to the native plant thing and you come back with your little wagon full of plants and you go, look what I bought. It's like, but what are you going to do with them? You know? <laughs> and they do don't all match where? up. Right? So speaking of that, no, Craig, so I, I want to <laughs> echo that thought with uh, master gardeners. They often say, do you plan a garden or plant a garden? <laughs> and if you... Don't plan yes. it. You're going to have to be digging up stuff. And, You'll be a digger-upper yeah. garden. So, uh, yeah. Craig, we have a couple of emails. And okay. um, one of them is from CP, who lives in uh, Palmetto. And his first question is, "What are just give us a, you know, a handful of your best butterfly native plants that you enjoy. <laughs> and like then I, I know you said to research, but give, us, <laughs> give the listeners you know, some advice. And then... His second uh, comment is, we have seen far fewer butterflies and bees this year. And I don't know if, uh, Craig, you've also noticed that. 
I haven't noticed that, but it does depend on where you live and That's what right. is around you. And what Annie said earlier, in terms of are people applying pesticides nearby? Mm -hmm. yes. Is your county or city aerial spraying mosquitoes with right. a pesticide or heaven forbid fogging your street late at night? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes we don't know all those things. Yeah. And I laugh because I get the question all the time and I am an anti-listite, you know? I really hate giving people lists because then it's like, oh, the expert guy told me these are the best right. plants. And what the <laughs> best plants things. are, are the ones, the best plants are the ones that meet your objective. So I will get back to answering the question. All of that said, the best plants in a butterfly garden are the plants that feed the caterpillars or the butterflies you want to attract. You know, we're not attracting things. I hate wildlife programs. They call it like a backyard wildlife habitat. Like, crap i can't put it in my front yard people will see it so i gotta <laughs> hide it behind my house mm -hmm. and the other thing when people talk about attracting wildlife to your yard because it's not about attracting them it's about creating habitats so they can live with us in our yard they're part of the life of our yard just like we live there they live there if we got a dog or a cat they live there you know those wildlife are dependent upon us at that point so the beauty of butterfly gardening, uh, even more than gardening for certain moths like luna moths and polyphemus moths and things you might also want to provide for is, you know, they're really specific on what they'll lay their eggs on. And like I tell people all the time when I'm speaking, I have never gone to a place and seeing butterflies starving to death fluttering pathetically on the ground because <laughs> they can't find any nectar. That just doesn't happen. So we got flowers. The there are better flowers than others, don't get me wrong. But the key is giving them something to be able to raise their young on so that they exist through time in our landscapes. And so, you know, native milkweeds feed monarchs and queens in this part of the world. Native monarchs, I mean, native milkweeds are good if you have the right conditions. Some of them are wetland plants. Yes. Some of them are upland plants and need pure sand or they'll die. Um, Black swallowtails use things in the carrot family. There are non-native plants like parsley and dill that work really well for them, but there are some really good native plants in that carrot family. Um, trying to think. Of course, giant swallowtails use things in the citrus family. And, of course, the Spaniards brought over citrus to Florida, but there are citrus, native citrus that don't produce citrus there in the same family. They're called prickly ashes, and we have several of them that are native. That's what they used before mm. the Spaniards decided to bring limes and lemons here um, and oranges. So, you know, if you have one, they'll lay eggs on it. If you have a bay tree, spicebush swallowtails and palomini swallowtails will lay eggs on it. If you have bacopa, um, which is a wetland plant, uh, white peacocks will lay eggs on it. So I always suggest to people, get a butterfly book of Florida. There's some great mm -hmm. ones, you know. Or even uh, one of those tiny brochures. Like the those, little brochure Like works, the colorful brochure that lists like 15 species. Oh, I've never seen get, that. Get Mark Minow's book that has host plants and caterpillars. It shows you what they look like. Damn, that's a great book. Mark Get Minnow's. Jared Daniels' butterfly book. 
Mark Minow's Caterpillar uh, host plant book is Butterfly Gardening Book. is so good. I use it all the time. And what's the other and guy's name? And that will name? tell you. What's the other guy's name? Mark Minow's and who? Jared, da- Jared Daniel. He Jared is, Daniel. Uh, he's at UF. Oh. And their two books are great. Okay. And you look through that and you say, boy, that's a very cool butterfly. Does it live in central Florida where I live? Mm-hmm. What do I need mm-hmm. to plant for it? And then you find someone selling that plant. Very and that good. is the best way to start a butterfly garden. So, and then you'll realize that a butterfly garden is not a localized little patch that's defined by some uh, landscape timbers or something because trees <laughs> and shrubs and all kinds of mm-hmm. plants are part of your butterfly garden. Yeah. One of my favorite things is every night, uh, my neighbor and I, we get, I don't know what they're called, a swarm of yellow uh, zebra wings, oh. butterflies roosting. Oh, zebra long wings, oh, huh? Right. Yeah, we, oh, every nice. night we see them roosting on these dead twig, twigs, and it's, oh, it's pretty magical. State butterfly, you know? You know, I keep it. So people should have state pride and plant for them, and they feed on passion vines, but just like Gulf fritillaries do, but zebra long wings only lay eggs on passion vines that are in mostly shade which means yeah. corky stem passion vine works so much better yeah. for them I let, it's, it's easy to pick the corky stem I let it grow up into my bougainvillea so it's uh, yeah. completely all in there and so now I have tons of those butterflies all the place. I was just going to say That's I, great. I, I kept one of my uh, male papaya trees because it's right outside of a window and the yeah. hummingbird moth comes uh, every oh, night so at dusk cool. and it's just the coolest yeah. thing to watch it, you know, first time I ever saw them I thought it was hummingbird of course um yeah i did too it's magical like kenny was saying so uh you know what just to interrupt for one second you know what i find is that if you have a typical landscape you don't want to be in it i mean because every time (laughs) you are you're mowing or doing something that is work but when you create a landscape that has life in it you want to be in it. I get grouchy yeah. when I can't spend time in it. And it changes your whole perspective. It, does. it makes it so much more interesting to be sharing your little piece of property with the rest of the living world. It's relaxing. So uh, CP, who emailed us those butterfly questions, he yes. says, thank you so much for thoroughly answering them. And then you were, You're welcome. you were just talking about UF, and we got another email from Mark in Brandon. And he says, my wife and I refuse to use pesticides, Yay. but we have a huge air potato vine problem. Do you have suggestions? Well, air potato isn't a pesticide, it's an herbicide. I mean, I first want to clarify that the absolute worst thing you can do in your yard is to kill off living things with insecticides. It's just so devastating to anything you want to do Mm -hmm. because insects are the foundation for all living things and pollination of almost 85% of the plants on earth. So I never use pesticides. Now, things like air potatoes, depending on how much acreage, area, um, how infested things are, I'm not an anti-herbicide person if used appropriate. I mean, I've done really large-scale habitat restoration work, and it's impossible to kill 10,000 acres of punk trees in the Everglades if you're not using the right herbicide in the right way. Um, So at home, 
if you have a small yard, I don't use herbicides in my yard. I'm not an anti-herbicide person, so I'll make that clear. If they're used correctly, carefully, according to the label, et cetera, et cetera. But air potatoes, you have to dig out the potato. I mean, there is no way you can pull them out. And if you let them start, you know, they're really a yam. And they drop those little yams onto the ground and they root and form new potatoes. So you, air potatoes. So you have to be able to make sure you pick all of them up and you eradicate the plant before it starts making more. And then instead of just pulling it up and get into the ground where that little tuber is and make sure you dig it up. Um, short of that, you know, if you have this wall of air potato and there's nothing else of value underneath it, you may have to look at an initial spraying to mm. start things. That's rare. They had those beetles that you could order a long time ago, which I did. And um, I don't have that problem yes. anymore. And then if you have friends that had them, you can maybe go get some from them because they don't, they don't uh, provide that service anymore. I think it was USF, actually. That's true. Right. The air potato beetle, I find okay. lots of natural areas now. They have spread, and they're doing their thing, and yeah. they help That's reduce great. the air potato's ability to spread. That's It's one of those integrated pest management approaches that's worked. Sometimes they don't. I know. It's scary when it comes on. <laughs> so do we have yeah. any more information over there that we need to address? Mm. No? I was just going to say that I have some air potato in my uh, property. And 10 years ago, it was a lot. And then this year, you know, every year it's getting less and less. But I also released a bunch of those beetles. And you, yeah. can, you can even see damage this year. From the laces, the lace that they do on the, uh, the yeah. leaves, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's great. It is You know, great. it little bit by little bit, we can take the earth back and share it with the rest of the living world. You know, people wonder, is that little bit that I do, is that really going to make a difference? And the answer, of course, is yes. And sometimes that difference doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes you can see big differences. Sometimes you see setbacks. But, you know, we have to move forward. And we do that by selecting the right plants. When I found that, uh, you know, if you are careful with your garden in an organic way that a lot of the insects, you'll have the good insects, the predatory insects that take care of the bad yeah. insects that you don't want in your garden. I don't use anything except for compost. And uh, I don't have insects in my garden. Occasionally I'll have some mealybugs only because they get stressed out. They're in the wrong place. And so I just have found that that's the case. If you just try to keep everybody healthy and happy, it all works out. They all work together. So Well, you know, in nature... There aren't people running around taking care of problems. <laughs> yeah. And so if we can truly balance our yards, and it takes time sometimes. Oh, yeah, years. Um, those issues with native plants adapted to this and mm -hmm. um, probably will not require those kind of things to be addressed. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes for short periods of time, uh, maybe, you know, I had a mealybug problem on one of my native plants. But frankly, I just squished them until they disappeared. Yeah. I didn't have to spray it. Yeah, I cut um, mine to the ground and, and then start over. So, And sometimes that works too. Sometimes, yeah. like for a Kunti, I've had a problem with in the past and 
all those fronds kind of die off, but I didn't get crazy weird and worry about it. And it came back better than ever. Exactly. You know, that's an adaptation. I mean, plants are adapted to having things eat them Mm -hmm. and having things attack them. And if they were going to go extinct from that, they would have gone extinct way before we showed up on this continent. Yeah, we don't need to bathe them as much as we do. So, Craig, we have a caller. And hi, Susie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Susie. Oh, hello. Um, So, I just had a quick question. I have those big, beautiful orange grasshoppers. A what? The lubbers. The the large grasshopper. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm they're native they're, grasshopper, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I knew that, and I don't use any insecticides. So I guess my question was, just let them do their thing, right? Well, well Craig, what do you oh. think? <laughs> it's very. Oh, you debatable. put me on a spot. That's a debate. I am. Thing. I am not a big fan of lubber grasshoppers. I will start <laughs> whether they're native or not, and I will say that about a year ago, on one of the blogs I write, I wrote about my excitement at finding a real grasshopper in my yard because yeah. when I was a kid and I'm backing up, but when I was a kid, we'd walk around and grasshoppers jump all over yeah. our legs. And I never see grasshoppers do that. And I don't see grasshoppers anymore. And we're, and, and I wish we did because they're so important. Lubbers because of their size and because of how prolific they are when they, their eggs can be a nuisance and we choose to live with it or not you know and that's that's the part about creating a natural living landscape that we often just have to uh, go along with it or Mm -hmm. choose not to but lovers when they're small will get eaten by things and so usually you know they'll eat a lot of your plants but usually things catch up and reduce their number but by the time they get to be full size, there are very, very few things to eat them, and they will eat your plants. And if they're eating plants you don't want them to, it's pretty easy to catch them and do whatever you want. Yeah, they're Put them slow. in your car, drive mm-hmm. across the state line, whatever you want to do with them. Um, oh, dear. You know, okay. <laughs> you can freeze them and eat them in chocolate. I don't know. There's lots of things Craig, you can do. But, um, Craig, yes. on October 31st, we're having an edible insect show, so don't uh, don't tease uh, it too uh, much. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know because there are lots of cultures that oh, eat yeah. this. Thing. It's Absolutely. a super high protein. Right. Okay. Well, I'll let, him, I'll let him and his friends know that you said that. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bon appetit. <laughs> I used to have a lot of them, and now I don't for some reason. They all went away. I just learned that lubber comes from an old English word, lubber, which means slow because those lubbers are slow. They are very slow. <laughs> they I, are I, slow. I, I always think this is too easy to <laughs> catch. How are they so prolific, right? I guess that's why, because they are so slow. They need to make a lot of them or there'll be none. <laughs> yes. All right. So Annie. What? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. <laughs> so, Annie, we have uh, like seven minutes left. Okay. So, if you want to ask a couple questions, and then we got to still talk a little bit more about the USF 
fall fest, but we'll save that for the end. Okay, for the very end. Yeah. So I have a whole, you know, I'm really interested in the the native and the wildflowers and the uh, things that are already here and then the things that you bring to your own space. So what, uh, I know that you do, well, I wanted to brag on you a little bit too, that Craig doubled the acreage, just about doubled of the Brooker Creek land purchase. Um, so that, that place, he's done a lot, a lot of work there. And uh, so there's just, it's twice as big as it used to be. And I know that you do wildflower walks. I kind of think you do some over there. How do we find out about those? Um, uh, Are you still doing those? Well, I do what I can. To, I do what I can to get uh, folks out and educate people. It's something I enjoy. Um, well, a number of years back, you know, I'm still on the Friends of Brooker Creek board and a good friend of mine who's the past president and still super involved, Barb Hoffman. Uh, we came up with the idea of doing four hikes a year as fundraisers uh, to places that aren't open to the public. So we call them off the beaten path and uh, they're advertised on the Friends of Brooker Creek Preserve website. Okay. We haven't uh, set the four hikes for next season up yet, but hope to start uh, probably around January after the holidays. Um, it's a great way to see some of the most beautiful parts of Brooker Creek that aren't open to the public because, frankly, most of it is closed. There's trails that are open, but you just can't wander aimlessly, and there's big parts where you can't go at all. And so we do that. Um, I've been a big part of Wildflower Watch, the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park. I haven't been able to attend the last couple because of some personal uh, things going on in my life, but I hope to be back doing those next year in spring, summer, and fall. And if people have never been to Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's 19 miles long. They just added a huge new purchase to it. And it is Florida's only example, preserved example of dry prairie. Wow. Um, you know, the prairie up in Gainesville is a wetland for the most part. The prairie in it's a dry prairie. It has so many amazing things in it. And it's just a beautiful state park. Um, so I do hikes like that. Sometimes I do hikes on my own where I invite people to come out. Um, you know, the Kissimmee hikes, uh, you'd have to go to the Friends of Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park to look at when those dates are and to register. Those are also fundraisers. There's a fee. I don't get paid, but um, the money goes to help support work in the park or at Brooker Creek Preserve. So that's specific. That's good to know. I just did a yeah. talk for the Suncoast Florida Native Plant Society, and they were doing... I a, saw that. I wish I could have gone. And they were doing a field trip at the Brooker Creek Headwater uh, yes. entrance, and they were mentioning all of the carniv native carnivorous plants yeah. they could find on that hike. That's nice. Well, there are it's a lot. an interesting. It is the you know there are no native pitcher plants at Brooker Creek Preserve. I looked for years to find them, but there are in the headwaters. I like to think I had something to do with convincing the county to purchase that to add to the existing property in Pinellas County, and. Um, and there is a fair amount of property within um, Hillsborough County that's connected to Brooker Creek and allows for connection to the about 9,000 plus acres that are in Pinellas. It's a wonderful regional resource. All right, Craig, we got about two minutes and I just want to end the show with okay. uh, you just reminding us that on October 8 and 9, 
you have a fall festival. Can you tell us the hours, uh, what people can expect? Well, we open at 9 o'clock and we close at 4 o'clock um, on both days. We've got about 45 to 50 vendors coming. Uh, they are environmental vendors. Not all of them are plant people and not all of them, of course, are native plant people. But we have, you know, orchid people and bromeliad people and rare fruit and, people. Uh, the rare fruit council is going to be there, Yay. you know, a chance to get all kinds of interesting plants that would be quote Florida friendly in your mm -hmm. landscape. Besides the Suncoast chapter, the native plant society will be here selling native plants. You know, we have people selling, uh, well, we'll have coffee. God, we have to have coffee. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, how can we exist it. without it? <laughs> we have, uh, you know, other vendors, information, people, um, it, it's just always fun. And there's, uh, we expect maybe up to 2000 people on those couple of days, our plant shop will be open. Um, and it should be just a lot of fun, a chance to see the garden, but not a great way to actually explore and walk the trails in the garden just because of the nature of the bees. So come out, enjoy yourself, find something, uh, um, some interesting plant of one kind or another cactus whatever it might be and uh come back later and explore this mm -hmm. place yeah it's a good beginning to familiarize yourself with the space where it is and such absolutely you know there's a lot of experts too that'll be at those tables that can talk to you about oh a lot damn of right Excuse lot my of experts. Mm -hmm. so we're excited that yes. you're the new director and yes. also if uh, people you. want to support the gardens they can become a member and then you get some benefits with that and we, we, we really only have about one minute left with you. So if you, Craig, if you had to choose one thing people can do to be more sustainable, more environmentally friendly, what would you suggest? Well, there's so many good things. You have to choose I, one, one thing. <laughs> my, my, my background is to choose your landscape plants wisely for their ecological role. Yes. Very good. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Craig Hugel. And love and, and I appreciate the time. And, and send our love and, to your and lovely. Listen to my show tomorrow morning. Yes. Thank yes. You. Thank you. I, I'm here on WMNF. Yes. He has a late uh, or early morning show. So, Annie, before you read that, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me. <laughs> so, Annie, I have an announcement. Okay. Hillsborough County has issued a mandatory evacuation order for people in level A and a voluntary evacuation order for level B, including all low-lying areas, mobile and manufactured homes, wow. starting at 2 this afternoon. My goodness. The Hillsborough County website has more information about how to find your evacuation level. I'm on at C. Thank goodness. Uh, if you enjoyed this program, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on the air. Stay on for the next hours of WMNF Tampa Monday Music with Flea. For more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, the source for today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show that we'll be talking with Lynn Barber and Julie Palachik. Uh,
Palachuk. I even we spelled it out right. And I messed <laughs> it up. With the extension services about uh, Florida-friendly landscaping, uh, follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living um, Show at WMNF to stay in the loop. I'm Annie Ellis, and I'm Kenny Coogan. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. Bye bye.